The following message was recorded at New Beginnings Church in Slidell, Louisiana. Please feel free to duplicate and share this message as you feel led. And you are invited to visit us at New Beginnings Church at 330 Robert Boulevard, Slidell, Louisiana, 70458. Our Sunday services start at 10 a.m., and if you have any questions, call us at 985-781-4663. And may God richly bless you as you listen to this message. On the story night, but you, O oh God, creator of it all, exceed the wildest visions and imaginations of man. Who would have who would have ever dreamed? Who would have ever dreamed that God would take upon himself the form of mortal man and come to this place and live among us and laugh and cry and stub his toe and touch his creation. Speak words of encouragement. Tell us that he came to set the captives free. See in our predicament allowed himself to be taken captive by his own creation. His body nailed to a tree. His life freely given. What a God you are. The God who doesn't ask us to die for our sins, but dies in our place. Doesn't look for us to curry favor, but pours out favor upon us without measure. And just to prove you were God, you didn't let the grave hold you. But you rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and gave us who believe that resurrected life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being who you are. How magnificent. Roar like a lion. Blood like a lamb. For us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. You may be seated. Hallelujah. That's great. Thank you, Ro. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. That's something special about that song. Just got a great, great message in it. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> It's uh, James Barron's day in Slidell. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I don't know what happened to the guys who were putting out the banners and the flags, but I, I don't know. I thought it would all be out by now, but uh, maybe later, <laughs> maybe for tomorrow. <laughs> um, James is uh, uh, many things to me. Uh, most of all, he's my friend. I've been a friend for many years. Uh, I met him when someone else was... Uh, in great stress, uh, they were being uh, uh, ridiculed and uh, admonished because they believed that uh, that grace was everything, and that we couldn't earn our salvation or keep our salvation, but that it was the sovereign work of God. And uh, this individual was going through a hard time. He was a friend of James, and uh, through that encounter, I met him. Uh, and established a great relationship with he, his wife, Cindy. Uh, way back then, his wife was pregnant with their first child, uh, Jake. And uh, if, uh, if the power of the, uh, there it is, there's Jake right there. You've met James, there's his son. <laughs> Just graduated from high school, and uh, it says, Jake will graduate with honors and receive a merit scholarship at the University of South Carolina. Uh, he will major at the Darla Moore School of Business, continue his passion for soccer, playing for the Gamecocks. There he is. There's Jake. He's got his game face on. You can see it looks like his dad. <laughs> so uh, Jim, uh, James sent me that picture, and I, uh, I thought you might appreciate seeing him. One day we ought to get the whole family, get Cindy and all, just uh, uh, just uh, they're great, great uh, kids. He's 
a marvelous wife. Uh, so, but in addition to being a good friend, uh, uh, he is, um, he likes to show off. Uh, he uh, knew that I had a really nice BMW, and uh, in order to prove that I, that I wasn't the fastest guy between here and Florida, went and got himself a Range Rover Sport, I believe is the right designation. It's got a measly 510 horsepower engine in it. <laughs> he can make it to Florida and here faster than United Airlines. Uh, we will visit him in jail. We will start a jail ministry in order to uh, <laughs> And then in addition to that, uh, I, I, I love to tell people about James when I introduce him is that he's a very successful attorney in Florida. Uh, and like Paul of old, God entrusted to him this marvelous mystery of the grace and power of God. So I don't want to take up any more time, but let me say that there's a basket in the back, a love offering, so whatever you put in the basket, we'll go to James. Uh, also, uh, we'll be here tomorrow at 10 a.m., and uh, James is going to speak this morning. Someone asked me how long. I said, anywhere between 40 minutes and an hour and 40 minutes. I don't know. I, uh, when he's finished, he's finished. And where the Spirit leads, and uh, I believe he's going to maybe give us an opportunity for a little Q&A in case there's anything uh, that you might have some questions about. So with that said and done, why don't we give a great big slide out welcome to James Barron. Thanks, Pat. In that raggedy Bible. <laughs> I know. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for having me back to share. I enjoy coming here. I get blessed, uh, I think, 100 times more than you may get blessed because I just, I love just being here with you guys and sharing um, from the heart. Thanks, Pat. If I don't remember, uh, remind me to, to turn to Exodus 3. I don't want to forget that. <laughs> awesome. No problem. Um, I've been thinking ab about lately um, how what, what Jesus did enables us to be resilient. Resilient. Resi resilient. The word resilient means to be able to snap back quickly from suffering, from tragedy, from sin, from mistakes, from whatever this old world throws at us. To be able to bounce back quickly. Resilience. Resilience. Resilience is so important because God doesn't want us to be down on ourselves at all about anything about your sins, about my sins, about my failures, about my weaknesses, about your weaknesses, about what other people do to you that you had nothing to, to do with, the unfair thing that happens to us in this world, the, the shame that comes, you know, with, sometimes with mistakes and that kind of thing. God does not want us to spend one second feeling down about anything, anything. And it's really, <clears throat> he has done such an awesome work that we don't have to sit and be depressed and, and whatever. I think of when Paul was on, the, on that island of, of Malta. And he was, remember he was picking up the sticks. They, the ship wrecked and they, they made it to the island. And he was picking up some sticks to make a fire. And the, uh, the, the snake was in the sticks. And when he was picking up the sticks, the snake bit him. And... At first, the people said, oh, he, he, he was saved from, the, saved from the storm. But now he must be an evil person because now this happened to him. He's, you know, God is out to get him. And this is what people see. They see with the visible and they, they have no clue what really is the truth and what's happening in the unseen. And so Paul, who knew, who knew God and knew who he was, just shook the serpent off. And he had no effect on him. Resilience. He, he just snapped, just shook it off and kept on going. And then they said, oh, he must be a god. I mean, they get it wrong all the time. No, he's not a god. No, he's not a murderer that God is out to get. No, he's not any of those things. They always get it wrong because they're looking at the outward appearance and they're just like trying to, in their own natural mind, trying to figure out what's happening. 
but there's an unseen reality that they don't see. And it's a perfect picture of, you know, Paul went through a lot. You know, he was beaten and shipwrecked, went without food, he was imprisoned. All these things he lists, these things he went through. And, um, but you notice how Paul never, never said, I'm just going to give up. I mean, he never said, I'm just going to give up. Why, why and how could he do this? You know, he's just a man like us. He's not like some super saint. And I tell you what I believe Paul got a hold of, that we can get a hold of too. Jesus said this. He said, in the world you shall have trouble. You shall have trouble. You shall have tribulation. It's a promise. And that promise is kept every day, right? There's trouble all around. Plenty to go around. In fact, Jesus even said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough evil to contend with today. That's the mindset of the Son of God. He says, don't, don't worry about what may happen, what evil may happen. Don't let that worry you. That may or may not happen. Don't worry. Think about now. There's enough evil to contend with today. I'm with you now, you know. And so Jesus says, in the world we shall have tribulation. We have, we're going to have trouble. But, then he says, but, be of good cheer. That means throw a party. That means rejoice. That means put a smile on your face. Even though trouble is all around you in this world. Even trouble that we cause ourselves. Sometimes we cause the trouble ourselves. That's all included. God is not giving us this awesome promise just if you live perfectly and don't make any mistakes. No, even the trouble we cause ourselves by bad decisions and just, you know, the weakness of our flesh. Sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes it's just the other person driving too fast, rams into our car. We weren't doing anything. We're sitting at a stop sign. In the world, we shall have trouble. We shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Throw a party. Rejoice. Why? Because I have overcome this world. Now, what does that really mean? That's what I want to talk about this morning for a few minutes, and then I want to take some questions, and, and, and I love questions because it kind of helps me see where I can, maybe can help someone see something more clearly. So we're going to take some questions. But what does that mean when Jesus said, I have overcome this world? Whatever he meant by that, it certainly meant something that enables you to throw a party now in the midst of trouble. You see that? In other words, when he says, I have overcome this world, he's not just talking about the sweet by and by. He's not just talking about when your body dies and you go to heaven, which that's true. He did. He overcame this whole world so that when we die, absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord because our sins are no longer being counted against us. For God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their trespasses against them anymore. And Christ beseeches us, beseeches the world to believe on him, to receive him, that that salvation, that sacrifice, that righteousness might be given as a gift by faith. So, he's talking about a reality that we can have now, not just when our bodies die. What I've been just pondering a lot lately that's really growing bigger and bigger in me is this whole concept of living in two worlds at the same time. Begin to think like this. Because this is the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom, in essence, is that Jesus came to do such a, such a work that heaven would come to earth. And the, hev the hev heaven itself would come, or the kingdom of heaven would come and be placed within 
you who believe. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven does not come like men think. It's not coming with your eyes. You're not going to see it outwardly like you might think. It shall be within you. This parallel world called the kingdom of heaven is all that he promised it to be. Jesus said something like this. He said, I leave now, but I am leaving my peace with you. Not as this world gives, but as I give. See? Two worlds. I leave now, but I leave my joy with you. Not as this world gives. Two worlds. He leaves his peace, his joy to his believers, to his people within. No matter what is happening around us in this world. Begin to think like that. Begin to to see that he has brought another reality to us. Now, how, do, how, does this, how does this work? In a, how do we get in heaven? How does heaven get in us? I mean, Paul, what do you mean we're seated now with him in heavenly places? How, what does that mean we're seated now with him in heavenly places? And, and what does that mean that Christ is now in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory? What, how does all this work? In God's wisdom, what he did was he, he cleared the way to join himself to man. He cleared the way by the death of the Son of God. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is called the last Adam. He is called the Lord from heaven. He is the the first man who's ever entered heaven. He began a whole new race. He ended the Adamic race on the cross. You, do you realize that Jesus is the first man that has ever gone to heaven? He said that to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, no man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who has descended. Every man on earth, when they died, they descended to Sheol in the Hebrew or Hades in the Greek. Same place. They descended. No man ascended. Not even Elijah. He was taken up with a whirlwind and taken right back, right to the bottom. Elijah, Moses, not a single man. Jesus said clearly, no man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man, the Son of God, who descended from heaven. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He has to have the preeminence in all things. He had to be the first man in heaven. Which is why he descended first to release the captives in Abraham's bosom in Sheol. He descended first, Ephesians says, and then ascended that he might fill all things. That's why he told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is another word for Abraham's bosom. Today, we're going together today. That thief descended with Christ to this realm of the dead that could not pass over because the sacrifice had not been given. They could not pass over into the heavens. God has cleansed the heavens and the earth with Christ. The heavens and the earth have been cleansed. Even the angel that used to be able to go to the throne and accuse you, no more access after he ascended. You know that? He doesn't have access like Job. In the old days, he had access. Lucifer could have access. God cleansed the heavens and the earth, Ephesians says, with the sacrifice of Christ. That's why it's, Revelation talks about the man-child ascends, and when he ascends, there's war in heaven. Michael is sent, dispatched to get him out. Get him out now. Judgment fell on the angels because they weren't protected. God redeems the sons of Abraham, not angels. And so the heavens were cleansed at the ascension of Christ. And you were given the authority that, the, that, the, that Lucifer so coveted. You sit in the heavens where Lucifer so wanted to be. That's why he hates you so much. Hates us. Hates God's kids. It's God. God says, I laugh. God shall laugh in the heavens. I'll give it to my kids. I'll give it all to my kids. The inheritance, I'll give it all to them. 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Awesome. And now you bear his name on the earth. And heaven itself is within us. So, so how does this happen? God cleanses the, the world so that he can join himself to those who believe. Peter got a revelation of this in the book of Acts. Peter had a, 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 a trance. He went to a trance, had a vision, and he saw God lowering this white sheet down full of unclean animals under the old covenant of law. And as they came down from above, four corners speaks to the four corners of the earth. The unclean animals are brought down and a voice speaks to Peter in the dream and says, or the vision and says, kill and eat, you know, just go, go ahead and eat. Basically, eat bacon, eat pork, which they're not supposed to do under the law. And Peter says, oh, no, no, I'm a, I'm a good Jew. I, don't, I can't eat pork. I'm not supposed to eat pork. It's unclean. And the voice speaks to Peter. The voice of God speaks and says, Peter, what I have cleansed no longer consider unholy. Three times this happened because it's important. God has completely cleansed the world of sin. The judgment of the Lamb of God did indeed take away the sin of the world, just like he said. Now those who die, not believing in him, will die in their sins, Jesus said, because they have rejected the only way out. They have rejected the sacrifice, and those who reject him will die in their sins and stand before God. And the books will be opened, the book of life will be opened, and there will be no name will be found in the book of life. Then the other books will be opened then of the works of this person, and not a single person is righteous enough from the book of works. That's why Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name and that you have this authority from heaven Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Notice that there's only names in the, in the Lamb's book of life. Not works. Names. Names. The other book is a book of works. This is a book of names. Because he is your righteousness. And you can rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life no matter what this world throws at you. But... Okay, getting back to how, how does this work? So God cleanses the world by the death of Christ. Now, those who believe, those who believe, God counts it as righteousness. Because when you believe that Jesus died in your place, then you have received this great mystery of death and resurrection. By your faith in him, his crucifixion becomes your crucifixion. His burial, your burial. His ascension, your ascension. His resurrection, your resurrection. In other words, because you believe, then all your sins, past, present, and future, are placed on him. And you receive all of his righteousness because of this, this great mystery when you see and when you believe. Now, when that happens... God counts it as righteousness. Now, this righteousness, which is by faith, is, in, is imputed just as Old, Old Testament saints had this righteousness imputed when they believed, like Abraham. He believed God, that he could, God could give him a son, and it was counted as righteousness because he believed it was imputed. But you have something much greater now in the New Covenant than imputed righteousness. They only had imputed righteousness. That's why they descended when they died. They were not righteous, actually. They were not a new creation. They were still in the flesh. This, this phenomenon that Jesus talked about, about being born of the Spirit, born from above, so you can see the kingdom, so you can see this reality, was not even available to Abraham or David. David yearned, it, yearned, to, yearned to see it. I mean, he saw it and he yearned to experience it. He talked about it in Psalm 51. He yearned for what was coming. He prophesied, Oh, Lord, you don't want blood of bulls and goats. You don't want to just cover sin. Take away my sin. Create in me a new heart, O oh God. David yearns 
for it and saw it prophetically in Psalm 51, but you have it. You have it now. You don't have just imputed righteousness. What God did was he imputed righteousness to the Old Testament saints so they could be put in Abraham's bosom and not be in torment until the Messiah came. They were in a paradise. It was like a flowing, there was a great gulf that separated the desert realm of the dead and this beautiful island of luscious waterfalls and trees. You could imagine how God provided for Abraham. Abraham's bosom was a place of refreshing. It was paradise. It was paradise. But he couldn't bring them home. He couldn't bring them home yet until the sacrifice was given. They were not new creations. They only had imputed righteousness awaiting the work of the Son on earth. But you and I have not just imputed righteousness, but when you believe God imputes righteousness to you so he can do something very special, very special, is at this point, you're clean. What is he going to do? First thing he's going to do is raise you from the dead. He raises the dead spiritual dead calls into being that which did not exist before. Behold, a new creation. Now, that new creation happens by the entrance of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says, after you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come into you until you believe. Contrary to some theology out there that says God sovereignly regenerates people by the Spirit and then they are able to believe because God sovereignly gives them the Spirit first and then they're able to believe and he withholds the Spirit from other people. He predestines certain people to get the Spirit so they can believe. He withholds the Spirit from other people so they never can believe. That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theology. It is a lie. The truth is anybody can be saved. And he died for all men. There's no such thing as a limited atonement. And I don't want to get on my soapbox, but. He tasted death for every man. He tasted death for every man. And anybody who believes, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's so sad about that theology is you cannot talk, you cannot go to a person on the street and say with any confidence that you can be saved. Can't. Maybe if you're one of the elect. You see how horrible that is? You can't go up to a stranger and say, if you believe, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. He died for you. They don't say that. Can't say it. Anyway, so, this awesome reality, when you first believe, God counts you as righteous because you received what he did through his son. So he can then give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Ephesians says, after you believe, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in that order. First believe, then receive the Spirit. Spirit comes in, touches your dead human spirit, my dead human spirit, and he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit. Life is imparted, not just imputed. Life is imparted along with righteousness. Not just imputed righteousness anymore, but imparted righteousness. A new creation is raised in this body of flesh. When the Spirit joins himself to us because of what Jesus did, which is why he said it's, it's, a, it's a imperative that I go away, otherwise the Spirit will not come, because I must fulfill the work I must, the Son must be glorified, John said, or the Holy Spirit could not be given in a regenerative way until he finished the work. When the Spirit comes and joins himself to us, we literally are members of the the very body of Christ. We are literally one with Jesus himself. Now, this is how you can be in heaven, and heaven can be in you, because think about this, saints. You are literally joined to Christ. God could not put his spirit directly into our human spirit because he's God and we're man. But there's one mediator 
between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, he had to be a man. See, God had to become a man so that the holy, the fullness of God who was, who was in him bodily, in the son bodily, could flow through the human spirit of the man. You see that? The human spirit of the man, Christ Jesus, touches your human spirit. So that the, flow, the spirit of God that was in the Christ flows through his human, his pure, blameless, sinless human spirit into your human spirit. His human spirit touches your human spirit and creates the conduit, if you want to say it that way, for the life of God himself to flow from the Christ into your body. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So, so from his, his, his own human, the man, the man, Christ Jesus, glorified, is able to join himself to us and we to him. So that Christ is in you and you are in him. As Jesus said, the hour is coming when he told his disciples that the, you'll understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And in that day, you'll see that I am in you and you are in me. Now, if we're joined to him, guess what? Just as he promised, you are where he is. You see that? Seated in heavenly places, that, that's what he meant when he said in John, he goes, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. This is not talking about second coming or when your body dies. It's talking about now, right now, seated with him in heavenly places right now. Because you're joined to him, him, see, we are joined to him and where he is, I am. And guess what? He is joined to you. And that means where you are, he is. And he promised that. He said, behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. Not when the world ends, but now. Now. So. This other, this other world, this other reality, the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Father, thy will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. I tell you, saints, the cry of the Son of God was that you and I would experience heaven on earth within, no matter what this world is doing around you. Another world. Another world. That's why Paul never gave up. That's why Paul could be in prison. He could do all these things and things could happen to him and he would find a, the joy would bubble up within him. They couldn't touch him. Couldn't touch him. As John says, first John says that the evil one touches you not because you're in him and he's in you. The evil one cannot touch you. As Jesus said, they may kill the body. We've had many martyrs for him, but they can't touch you. Feed on these things. We are, Paul says that the latter, in the latter days there will be perilous times. We are in those perilous times now. It's not future, it's now. That's another now. Perilous times. Paul said evil men would wax worse and worse. They would grow worse and worse. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. The scripture says gross darkness shall cover the earth, but you will shine as a light. Because you have a light from another world within. As the world gets darker and darker around us, it's going to be more and more important for us to lose ourselves in him. To be so filled with him and aware of him and aware of this other reality so that no matter what comes at you, 
As, as Jesus said, when you see all of these bad things happening, rejoice, look up, because the final redemption of the body draws near. It's about to be over. But in the meantime, we can have this amazing awareness that we are no longer from here. I wrote an article on my blog. You can go uh, take, a look, take a look at it one day if you want to read it. Like, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Or, yeah, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And I think a lot of believers think of walking in the Spirit. They, they really think of it more as the Spirit leading me to make godly decisions. And, you know, and, that, and that certainly is part of it, the Spirit leading us to make godly decisions. But saints, in many cases, that's just Christianese. That's just Christian, Christianese that's really just describing living by precepts and principles. Living by law. Because I, I learned what I should do. And I feel like God is, is telling me to do this because that's what the law says. Or that's what the precept says or the principle says. Walking in the Spirit is so much more than that. Walking in the Spirit is an awareness, number one, that you're no longer from here anymore. Think about that. You're no longer from below. Jesus said you, we, were, we were once from below, from the, from the Adamic race. We are no longer from below, Jesus said. We are now from above. You have been born from above, from the Spirit, by the Spirit, from heaven. That's why Paul says, our mother, Paul says in Galatians, our mother is New Jerusalem above your mother. That's where you're from. That's where you're from. You're from above. So the, the very concept of walking in the Spirit must begin there. It must begin with this reality and you're thinking that I'm not even from earth anymore. I'm not even from this world anymore. I'm from above. Now, the Holy Spirit renews our minds to these things. See, this, this is the inheritance. This is part of the inheritance that is given to us. Jesus told Paul on the road to Damascus, I send you forth to open the eyes of the blind. Tell them that their sins are forgiven. And that they have received an inheritance from me. And it's given to all those who are made holy or sanctified by simple faith in me. Period. Boom. We believe the forgiveness part pretty good, you know, for, as far as a now reality. But we don't really catch the inheritance part as a now reality. Think about it. When someone dies in your family and you receive an inheritance from their death, is the law such that you have to die before you can receive the inheritance? No. You receive the inheritance because the other person died. It's the living that get the inheritance. It's the, it's the living that are the beneficiaries. And yet we think in our minds that all this inheritance that Jesus left us through his death, as Hebrews says, he's the one who died so that the will could be enforced, released. We, we tend to think that, that that inheritance is all after I die in heaven. That's why he said, I have come, that you might have life and life more abundantly now. Why? Because he's going to release his inheritance on you through the Spirit, the pledge of the inheritance, the reality of another world now that you have been born from above, that you are the righteousness of God, that you are a new creation, that you do have a new heart, that you are a son or a daughter of God, such that all that remains is to put off the body and you step over. All that remains, absent, absent from the body, is present with the Lord face to face. But now, there's so much to be enjoyed, no matter what this world's throwing at us. That's why we can throw a party. Because what he has done is amazing. 
Jesus said, I open the door that no man can shut. God opened a door to mankind to step over into the heavens. And no man can shut it. No man can shut it on you. You can choose to walk through that door. Now there's another door. It's the door of every person's heart. Every individual person's heart. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at that door and knock. If you will open that door, I will come in and bring you to my, through my door, is what he's saying. Because his door is already open. But every individual person must choose to open their own private, personal door and receive him. He stands at the door and knocks. And if a person receives and believes, union takes place. And the first thing he says is, after union is, I'll have you sit down. First thing. We'll have you, we're going to sit down first. You've been, you've been working way too hard. Been working way too hard to try to earn my love. First thing you do is you're going to sit down. And I'm going to sit down with you. And we're going to break bread. We're going to have a meal. We're going to have a party. Isn't that awesome? That, that rest is what he's called us to. And that's part of the inheritance. The rest. Peace, grace and peace. Paul started all of his letters, grace and peace to you. What a great blessing you and I have every day. That from the Father, because of the Son, because you have believed on him, through the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us, grace and peace is toward you and I every day. His mercies are new every morning because of Christ. Awesome. Grace. Peace. Peace. We have peace with God and we have the peace of God. Two worlds. Two worlds. Jesus said to Pilate, For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Powerful statement. Just before his crucifixion, he says, for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The word truth in the Greek there actually means the reality. The reality. Hebrew says that what is seen has been made by that which is not seen. That which is not seen made everything that's seen. One of the key things the Spirit wants us to, to think about is what the Apostle said over and over and over again. The Apostle said, look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. Let the Spirit reveal the unseen reality. Don't let this world interpret truth or reality to you. Like the people that saw the snake bite Paul. They let that circumstance interpret what was going on and they missed it. The Spirit wants to show us the unseen reality behind all that is seen. All that is seen is temporary. The unseen is eternal. And the unseen made the scene. In fact, Romans says that all that has been created reveals the unseen. It says, for the, for the invisible things of God, Romans 8, I mean Romans chapter 1, for the invisible things of God, the invisible things of God, unseen, are clearly seen by the things that have been made that we might understand God. Saints, I, be I believe this. Think about this. The, the unseen, the word, Christ himself made all things. The unseen made all things to reflect the creator, to reflect him. When you go outside and look at the stars at night, or when you look at the sunrise or the sunset, or when you look at the clouds or the blue sky or the green trees or the meadows, 
or the flowing brook or the rivers or the mountains. The unseen reality that made that scene is reflected. It's reflected to your spirit without effort and it bypasses the mind. Think about that, saints. The unseen, God made it this way. The unseen reality that made the scene, when you just go out and, and just enjoy the outdoors and enjoy the creation, there is a great mystery that takes place. The unseen truth that is behind what has been made is reflected, reflected to your spirit. And that's why you feel great when you do that in your spirit. That's why the unbeliever is drawn to go camping and go out in the woods. The unbeliever likes the mountains. The unbeliever is drawn because they feel God is calling them and they don't even know it. God, through, through the creation, is speaking to their dead human spirit, calling them. And they don't even know it. But you know it. And you have the spirit to interpret all these things. So that the seed becomes meaningful. You know what the seed means. You know what the sun means and the moon means and the mountains mean. You, know, you see the water, what it means, and the roots, what it means. You, you, you understand what it means. It's all unlocked for you. All unlocked for you. Consider the lilies of the field, Jesus said. That's unlocked for you now. Consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, but your Father takes care of them. Unseen truth speaking to your spirit. See, Job said, speak to the earth and it will teach thee. The creation itself. Revelation says that when the dragon opened, her, opened its mouth and tried to make a flood to move the woman from her place of rest, to, to make her push her out of that place of rest, the scripture says the earth opened her mouth up and swallowed the flood. The revelation of Christ and all of creation opened up. So it built her faith even stronger because no man, no man created this world. Awesome. It's so... Th this is getting bigger and bigger in us. Bigger and bigger in us. This is the glad news of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, this message of the kingdom of heaven shall be proclaimed in all the world and then shall the end come. This is the message that has been so warped through the centuries and left out. The legalism in the church, the teaching that has blocked this revelation from coming forth, and then a, a clear understanding of what it means to have the kingdom within, which Paul and Jesus and the apostles clearly taught. Within, another reality. No matter what this world is throwing at us, the good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world, and then shall the end come. That's how he started his message when he first came on the scene. Change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's at hand, within reach. You think the kingdom of heaven is centuries from now, because you read the prophets, and the prophets talk about a, a cleansing that's going to come, and the kingdom will be established. You think it's in the future. Change your mind, it's coming. It, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is here now. You think it is... Too difficult for you to, to make it there. You, you're a prostitute. You feel like, I, I, can never be, I can never enter the kingdom. I'm a prostitute. Change your mind. Change your mind. It's within your reach too. For I tell you truly, truly, I tell you that the prostitute shall enter my kingdom before the Pharisee. Because she will see her need for another's righteousness faster than the Pharisee. The kingdom is here. It's here. It, is, it was in him, it shall be in you, he said. The truth is in me, he said, it shall be in you. The reality was in him. It shall be in them when he finished his work and the spirit came. And the fire appeared above their heads before the spirit entered their bodies. The presence. In this world, we'll have many troubles and tribulations. Stress. Stress is a big killer. Stress is killing people everywhere. Heart attacks, stroke, overeating because of stress, whatever. Driving too fast because of stress. You have a wreck. Stress. Stress. Running late. Yeah, stressed out. 
Jesus is calling us to enjoy the new world. It's in you already. He's in you. You're in him. Now you're where he is, and he's where I am. I'm where he is, and he's where I am. Let this reality grow in us. This is the renewal of the mind. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Yes, he still leads us to make decisions, and, but it's from, a, it's from a reality and a mindset that you see who you are and who he is, and not just a, a principle or a precept or a law that you're trying to follow and make a mental choice to do the right thing. That's so inferior to what God did. So inferior. God wants you to experience this overwhelming, I mean, Paul described it, joy unspeakable, full of glory. When this really continues to grow in us, it takes just one second to close your eyes if you want to do that, or look up and remember who you are, who he is, and who you are, and where you are, and where you're not. You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. If Christ be in you, you're no longer in the flesh. No longer joined to the Adamic race. But a new creation has come. Two worlds. I'll just I'll wrap it up here, and, and we can take a little break and take some questions. And um, if you, if this stirred up some good questions that you, you might have, but um, there's a story in Second Kings chapter seven. Oh yeah. Exodus 3. I saw, yeah, I want to, Exodus 3. There's a story, when you get a chance, read. I want to make sure I get that right. I think it's 2 Kings chapter 7. I don't want to give you the wrong chapter. You go home and read it and go, what the heck? What is James saying here? This doesn't make any sense. Okay, let me make sure I get that right. 2 Kings. Yep, that's it. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 7. Just one chapter, when you get a chance, read that whole chapter. It's a story of the two worlds. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of the two worlds. It's all, this is, look, saints, this is all through Scripture. This is all through Scripture. God brought them out of Egypt through a door. Red Sea, Jordan River, to another land filled with milk and honey. That's not heaven, because there's no giants in heaven to, ba to battle. The land filled with milk and honey is the new world that you have now in Christ, right now, with giants trying to keep you from possessing what has already been given to you. Inherited, not by wage, you've inherited it, it's yours. But this is all through the scriptures, this, this concept of two worlds. It's in Noah's flood. You have a world that's full of evil and violence, and this family goes through a door. A door. One door on a boat. And then later they go out through that same door to another world, a cleansed earth. You see the picture? God is saying, I want to take you to another reality, a new world through one door, which is Christ. So anyway, this story is so awesome. This story, when you take a chance, we have a chance to read it. Chapter 7, 2 Kings. It's all, this is all through Scripture. It talks about this city that's under siege. This Israeli city under siege by enemies. And the enemy is surrounding the city, and they're just going to wait them out and let them all die of starvation. And when they're all weak or dead, they're going to take over the city. But a prophet speaks up. In the midst of this terrible disaster. This is tragedy. This is suffering. This is bad. This is the trouble that the world has to give us. And a prophet speaks up and says, God told him to say this, and he said, this time tomorrow, there's going to be bread for everybody, because they're all, they're all starving. There wasn't food anywhere. He basically said, this time tomorrow, there's going to be bread for everybody. What? He's speaking from an invisible reality. 
Because God said, tell him, tell him this. And then the doubter said, oh, yeah, right. If God would open the windows of heaven, they're not going to be bread enough for this city tomorrow. And then the prophet said, because you didn't believe, you'll see it with your eyes, but you won't be able to experience it. Windows of heaven. That's what you have inside you now. The windows of heaven have been opened. You live under an open heaven now, every day, every day. So what happened was these four lepers, um, I'm going to summarize the story, but I really want you to read it for yourself when you get a chance. But these four lepers who were dying with the, with the city said, look, we're going to die anyway because we're all starving. And we're lepers, and we have no life here anyway. Why don't we just go out to the enemy? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll make us their slaves and we can eat. Maybe they'll, we, can, we can survive. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is they kill us. We're going to die here anyway. Right? So the four lepers say, let's just go out there. Maybe we can, you know, maybe we can survive this if they keep us alive and, and so forth. Oh, yeah, there you go. Awesome, awesome. So, um, so they go out there, and what happens, the four lepers go out, and they say, wait, wait, what happened? Where is everybody? And they go out there, and there's tents, and there's cattle, and there's goods, and there's, there's all this stuff that's out there, but there's no enemy. Now, the people in the city believe that, they believe that they're surrounded by an enemy, and they, there's no hope. But there's another world right outside the gates, a whole other world, another reality that full of food and tents and garments and all this stuff. The lepers are just overjoyed. They begin to grab stuff and eat stuff, and they're like, this is unbelievable. And they're like, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And they're enjoying this feast in the desert. And in the distance, they see their, their little town, and one of them says, this is not right. This is not good. We are out here enjoying all of this. And our friends and family in our city, they're dying. They have no, they have no idea. They have no idea. You see it? Two worlds. So they said, we've got to go back and tell them. They even said this. They said, today is a day of good news, if that's the right translation. There you go. Good news. This is a day of good news. Isn't this cool? God put this in Kings for us to understand now in Christ. It all makes sense. So we've got to go tell them the good news. And so they went back and told them the good news. And of course, they still doubted. They said, you know, one of, one of the guys says, oh, it's a trap. They're just trying to set you up so that you go out there and they're going to come out behind the sand dunes and kill us all. Want your money. What's that? They just want your money. Yeah, they just want, you, they just want your money, right. <laughs> It's a trap. They just want your money. And so eventually the king said, well, let's send some spies out there at least, send a few and see if it's true. So he sent a few people out there to look at it, and they came back and they said, it's true. It's really true. I, I can't believe it, but it's really true. And the king goes, well, I'll be, you know. And they opened the gates. Another door. They opened the door. And the crowd of people flooded through the door to this other reality, this new reality, leaving death and going to life and abundance. And the guy that doubted, he got trampled underfoot and died. He died at the, at the gate. He died at the door because he doubted that God could do that. It's awesome. Beautiful picture of the two worlds, the two realities that God wants us to see and not, not be afraid, no matter what we're going through. In this world, we shall have tribulation and trouble, but we can be of good cheer, for he has overcome this world. Now, we can experience that. Now. And one of the most important things we do, saints, as a church, is we, we meet together as often as we can, and we encourage each other, and we speak the truth, the reality to each other in love. It's one of the most important things we do. 
We can't do this alone. We, we can't. God didn't want us to do it. He didn't have a, a hand walking over here and a foot walking over here. And a, it's the body all together, working together, fellowshipping together. And we can speak this reality to each other and encourage each other of this new world and the love of God as we're all being built up in the Son of God, the reality of, his, of who he is. I saw earlier you had on the, on the uh, video, it said, worship him in spirit and in truth. What that means, saints, is what we're talking about right here. The question to Jesus was, where do we worship? Do we worship in this mountain or in that mountain? We Samaritans worship in this mountain where Moses read the blessings and the cursings over the people. You Jews worship in Jerusalem at that mountain where the temple is, which mountain, which high place is the right place to worship? And Jesus said, the hour is coming, woman, and now is, now is, that the true worshipers will neither worship in this mountain or in that mountain. They will not worship on a place, in a place, on this earth, but they will worship in another dimension. They will worship in the spirit and in the reality. That's what it means. You see, the question was where? Where do we worship? The answer was in the spirit, in the real. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. There is no holy mountain on this earth anymore. There is no holy land. There is no holy place. There's only the Holy Spirit. And you Wherever you go, you make that place holy. Where your foot touches, you bring the holy. You bring the other, the other, which is what holy means, other, other. You bring the otherness of God because it's in you and you're in him and he's in you. Looking no more at that which is seen as a mountain as being the place to go or a temple Mountains are just pictures of high places. The ultimate high place is the heavenlies, where you now sit. Why do you go back, Paul says, to shadows and pictures of things and, not, and leave Christ, who is the substance? You see? Anyway. Behold. Two worlds. And I'll close with this. Exodus 3. We didn't forget, Pat. It's just a cool little verse I want to read. Exodus chapter 3. This is the scene where the Moses sees the, the bush burning and he comes aside to, to look at this, this strange thing where the, the bush is not being consumed, but it's, but it's burning with the flame. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Say this after me. I, I never do this, but humor me and say this after me, please. I have come down, have come down. to bring them up. I have come down to bring them up. He did it. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open, Ephesians chapter 1, that the eyes of your heart might be open, that you might see the hope of his calling, that you might see the exceeding riches of the glory of his inheritance that is in you, in the saints now, that you might know the power that is toward you now, according to his 
power when he raised Jesus from the dead and sat him on the right hand of all authority and dominion and gave him to be the head over the church where she sits with him also in heavenly places. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power that works within you, that we might know the height and the width and the depth of the love of God, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Two worlds walking around with the fullness of the love of God. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things. You came to open the eyes of the blind. You sent Paul out to open the eyes of the blind. Open our eyes fully, the eyes of our heart, our new heart. Send us to open the eyes of the blind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness, your goodness. For the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. The Lord is pleased. The Lord is so pleased with you. Simply because you have believed. You have believed. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.